of Faith, good morning and welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church where we believe that all belong to God and we strive to live like all belong to one another. Whether you are a longtime member or are joining us by means of the radio or the internet or are a first time visitor, we are so glad you are here. So welcome on this morning. If you are a first time visitor, I would encourage you to linger in the atrium after worship. We have people who would love to greet you by name and um, welcome little care packages. So we're glad you're here. I would like to invite all of you to pass the friendship pad down the pew so that you might learn the name of those around you and be able to greet them by name. I also encourage you to take note of the connection and the prayer cards in the pews. Those are there for you, so we encourage you to use them. I also want to, um, to make a few announcements as we begin worship. You might have noticed it is a joyful and a busy day here at Preston Hollow, which is our norm. Today we have the Discipleship Fair up, the Generosity Fair, which is an opportunity to learn about lots of different things going on in the life of our community. This week we're focusing on discipleship. Next week we will focus on mission, and the following week we will focus on care. So if you are looking for a way to get involved or a way to give back, I would encourage you to walk through Jubilee Hall following worship and you can see all of what we have going on. I also want to remind you all about PHPC Serves Week, which is coming up September 23rd through 29th. I learned this week that a volunteer is worth $24.69 to an organization. That's a lot, y'all. So as a community, we are going to volunteer our time in our city that week. We are going to try to just give tons of time to different to different organizations, and I would invite you to be a part of that. There's information in the bulletin and there's information online about opportunities you might have to serve. So check it out because your time is meaningful. With that said, friends, let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. For God is in our midst. Let us worship God.
please join me in the call to worship. Like a parent running to greet the prodigal son, God always welcomes us home. No matter how far we travel, God always welcomes us home. There is no place we can go where God's love cannot reach us. God's always welcome us home. Welcome home, children of God.
transforming God, each day brings opportunities for learning and growth, and yet we often squander these opportunities, choosing the safeness of what we already know over the uncertainty of learning something new. Show us the way forward. Lead us out of our comfort zones and remind us that growth and transformation occur only when we embrace new challenges. Amen. Friends, hear, the, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. may be seated. At this time, we would like to invite forward all third graders and ninth graders who are receiving Bibles this morning. We invite our third graders to the lectern side and our ninth graders to stand on the steps at the pulpit side. So come on forward, friends. As our young people come forward, we want to let you all know today is Bible Sunday. It is Bible Sunday in part because we celebrate the 23 third graders and 23 ninth graders who will be receiving Bibles this morning. But it's not just for our third graders and our ninth graders. Bible Sunday is also a chance to celebrate the gifts of God's Word to each and every one of us. Part of the wonder of the Bible is that it reminds us since the beginning of time that God has chosen to be a part of our stories. God is involved in your life and in my life. So when you came in to worship today, hopefully you had one of these in your worship bulletin. If you didn't, you can pick one up at the table as you leave worship today. The discipleship ministries, our children, our youth, and our adult ministries have put this together for you. It is 50 stories from the Old Testament and 50 stories from the New Testament to know and love. We are inviting you to take this home today and over the next year to get to know these stories, to incorporate them into your family's life and into your life as a way of making God's story a part of your story. So we hope that you will use this and that this will become a resource for you, not only as our third graders and ninth graders to get Bibles, but as we all learn and study and read God's Word. But I want you to turn around and look at me because I'm going to talk to you for a second, okay? Stay on your steps, stay on your steps. All right, so you are all old enough to read the Bible by yourself now. And so that is why today we celebrate giving you a new Bible. So this is a new Bible, but it is also written in the common English version. So that means it is going to be good for you to understand and for you to read by yourself and with your parents and your grandparents and anyone else. And so this Bible has lots of tips and notes in it and also pictures to help you understand it. All right, so I want you to turn back around. Good job. Turn around. All right, and so you're going to stay where you're standing. I'm going to read your names in alphabetical order, okay? 
and the teachers, our third grade teachers, are going to pass their Bibles out to you, and you're going to stay where you are, all right? Stay where you are, and just listen for your name, and watch for your teacher to hand out a Bible to you, okay? Here we go. Greer Beeson, Mark Benedict, William Brasscamp, Luca Clark Barone, Abigail Crook, Riley Gerard, Claire Jackson, Dylan Kennedy, Noah Kynard, Max Martinelli, Joe Melendi, Andrew Nolan, Nick Nolan, Kyle Ogden, J.D. Pierce, Vivian Ray, Vivian Rudolph, Henry Seal, Ella Shahan, Isaac Sikon, Hudson Stiles, Ethan Welch, Ella Wilkinson, and Henry Zohar. Third graders, congratulations from your church family. We hope that you read this new Bible every day and learn more and more stories about how God loves us. All right, third graders, you may be seated with your families. Please go quietly. And at this point, I would like to invite some of our confirmation mentors to, to grab some of the confirmation Bibles. We are going to pass out the study Bibles, the common English study Bibles, which are about the size of a cinder block, but they're full of good news. So ninth graders, I am going to read your names aloud, and your mentors are going to pass them out. Sophia Abel. <laughs> Reagan Asher, Hadley Beeson, Matthew Benedict, Gino Bledgie, Ellie Held, Walker Homan, Christopher Jackson, Ian Linenberger, Luke Maddox, Will Mina, David McBee, Avery Moore, Lars Ox, Hayden Pekorski, Caroline Richard, Emma Richard, Jackson Richard, Abby Roberts, Gretchen Schultz, David Shirley, Elise Stambridge, Madeline Sumrow, and Kate Walker. Confirmands, we hope you use these Bibles and love these Bibles. Write in them, take notes, dog ear the pages. This is yours, and it's a gift from your church, which loves you dearly. So you may return to your seats. Mentors, thank you for your help. Turn to their seats and we prepare our hearts and minds for scripture. I invite you all to pray with me. Let us pray. 
Good and gracious God, it is easy to forget that your word is a gift. But it is a gift. For it is in scripture that you paint a picture of love that is bigger than we could imagine. In scripture, you remind us what it looks like to forgive, to grow, and to change our minds. You remind us that we are loved, called, and that we belong. So today, on Bible Sunday, we pray for our third and ninth grade students. May they come to cherish this book as truth and hope. May they fill the pages with notes and coffee stains, bookmarks and prayers. And may all of us, every time we turn to your word, listen with open ears. God, we are listening. Amen. Quite a sight, wasn't it? 23 third graders, 23 ninth graders, all receiving the good news. That's our work. That's what we're called to do. That's why we exist, in fact, to pass on the faith so that our young people will know that God loves them and has claimed them all the days of their lives and that there's nothing in this life, nothing in this world that would ever cause them to be separated from our God. What a good day it is. Friends, uh, if you're visiting this morning, maybe you're a grandparent of one of those young people who was just on the steps, you need to know that we are launching into a new sermon series through the month of uh, September and October. We are preaching our new vision statement. Our new vision statement here at Preston Hollow is trusting that all belong to God, living like we belong to one another. In order to trust that all belong to God, something uh, has to happen first. You have to trust that you belong to God. And so last week, uh, we looked at Genesis 1 and the creation narrative in a, in a new way through a different lens. And uh, if, you, if you didn't listen to that sermon, I would, uh, I would encourage you to do that. We're on iTunes. You can check us out on the website. But this week, third graders and ninth graders, you need to know that our story comes from a particular passage in the Bible that not a lot of preachers have dog-eared in their own Bibles. This is a tough text. It will make us feel uncomfortable about Jesus a little bit. It will also make us feel a bit uncomfortable about ourselves, but we got to hang in there because this text is in the Bible. Uh, we're going to turn to the, the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Sarah Johnson preached on this passage this morning, but we or not this morning, uh, this summer. But we believe scripture is sort of like a gem that when you hold it up and rotate it, you can see different layers through the light. And so we're going to explore uh, this text again this day. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this morning. Jesus left that place and went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but he couldn't hide. In fact, a woman whose young daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard about him right away. And she came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged Jesus to throw the demon out of her daughter, and Jesus responded, the children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But she answered, Lord, Lord, even uh, the dogs under the table, 
Even the dogs eat the children's crumbs. Good answer, he said. Go on home. The demon has already left your daughter. When she returned to her house, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just like you hovered over the waters of creation. So we ask that you would create afresh and anew this very day, that you would breathe new life into these ancient words. They might be your word to us here and now, and that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth, into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Archbishop Desmond Tutu is a hero. He's won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work fighting against apartheid in South Africa. Desmond Tutu grew up a black South African man in some of the hardest years of apartheid in South Africa. His mother worked for a white family, cleaning the house and cooking the food. Archbishop Tutu worked all of his days, and still works to this day, fighting against the system that he experienced as a young boy, and especially as a teenager. He had an experience uh, several years ago that revealed just how integral his upbringing had been on him. But it's not what you think. Desmond Tutu uh, was boarding an airplane one day. He was catching a flight. And as he crossed the threshold into the airplane, he, the stewardesses, where they were standing right there, along with both of the pilots dressed in their pilot uniforms, both of these pilots were black South African men. And Archbishop Tutu thought, this is the proudest day of my entire life. Here stand two black South African men ready to pilot our plane. Everything that we have worked for has made this moment possible. Archbishop Tutu said that he walked to his seat and he was standing about three inches higher. He said he's never held his head as high in his entire life. He gets to his seat, finds his way, sits down, Halfway through the flight, the stewardesses come. They're taking drink orders. And Desmond Tutu says they hit the mother of all turbulence. The bottom fell out of the airplane. And Archbishop Tutu says the very first thought that came to my mind when we hit that turbulence was this. Boy, do we need some real pilots to get this airplane out of the turbulence. Those boys up there aren't going to be able to make it.
his thought took his breath away. He had been working every single day of his life. He put his family's life on the line. He risked everything so that those two guys could pilot the airplane. And even he couldn't help but think, man, do we need some real pilots. Desmond Tutu is one of the greatest and most faithful crusaders for a quality that our world has ever known. And yet even his heart, even his heart was damaged by the racist and dehumanizing history of his homeland. Even his heart. Friends, uh, where and when you grew up impacts how you see and live in the world. True for Desmond Tutu, true for you and me, but also true for this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was a fully human, fully God. But I don't think that made Jesus immune from seeing the world through the lens of being Jewish. A male from Nazareth. So when Jesus encounters a Syrophoenician woman who is desperate to save her daughter, literally, she has nowhere else to turn, she carries that particular burden. Jesus sees what his hometown has taught him to see. He sees a, a Gentile. That's not even a person of a different faith. That's an idol worshiper. He sees a woman when women are ritually unclean, he sees a person outside the people of Israel. That means that someone, he sees someone who does not belong to God's chosen ones. Jesus at first glance, Jesus at first glance, sees what he's been taught to see. He doesn't see her. response that we hear from Jesus is shocking, unthinkable, really, even for those of us who love Jesus, who call Jesus Lord, those of us who have accepted Jesus. He replies to her, the children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He's inferring that she's a dog. Dogs were a pejorative Jewish term for Gentiles. And let's be uh, really clear, these aren't the cute little puppies that you pose with in your Christmas cards that you send me in the mail at Christmas, okay? <laughs> We're not talking about those cute little puppies. No, dogs during the uh, time of Jesus are sort of a mix between a hyena and a rat. <laughs> now, I don't know, maybe you have one of those at home. <laughs> It's not nice to talk about your kids that way, but you may have one of those at home. But you sure aren't posing with those kind of dogs and including them in your Christmas card. At least you haven't sent me one anyway. Dogs in the New Testament are known to be unclean. They're known to be scavengers. So, when, so being called a dog, not nice. Not nice at all. Being called a dog meant that you could never belong to the people of God, that you were unclean and outside. And Jesus, the Son of God, calls a woman this. Oh no, I don't think that Jesus was 
beyond being shaped by his hometown. Jesus was just being a good and faithful Jewish man from Nazareth. He's seeing exactly what his culture taught him to see. Let me say, uh, I've wrestled with this text a lot this week. A lot. And the more that I've wrestled with this text, the more I have come to believe that this isn't the first time this woman has ever been called a dog. For she responds to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her reply is too good. This is the kind of reply that you cook up 45 minutes after the argument. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if I would have just said it that way, that would have totally leveled him. She doesn't even lose a breath and she fires it off. Her reply is rooted in the truth that is found after you've searched your soul. Her truth is rooted in the truth that is found when you can't bear another insult, another dismissal, another half hearted welcome. No, her reply is too good. Her reply is confident. The reply of a woman who has had to bear the pain of being shamed for who she is and who carries that extra burden. The extra burden of a child who's sick. A child who's at death's door. Can't get any help. Let me just say no one should have to carry that kind of burden. Nobody. She replies as a woman who has discovered her own value, her own belonging in the family of God, despite what the world around her might say. She knows that she's going to be dismissed and even insulted by other people, but she also knows that she's been claimed by Almighty God, for she says, even the dogs under the table can feed on the scraps. She's saying, um, you know that those little flakes of bread, even the little crumbs that fall from the table after the people of Israel have had their feast, even those crumbs that congregate by your feet, the crumbs are enough. For in the crumbs, we can even taste God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. For in the crumbs, we find our, our identity and our belonging. In other words... Uh, Jesus, Son of God, God's love and God's grace, big enough to include me. Did you notice uh, in our passage this morning that her response doesn't change her status? Doesn't change her status. Uh, she's still a Gentile, a woman, a Syrophoenician, but something shifts in Jesus' eyes. Jesus' eyes are open to the wider understanding of God's love, the truth that she embodies. Theological word, uh, the truth that she incarnates. Changes Jesus' understanding of who is included in God's healing and God's love. She makes the truth of God. She makes the truth of God's expansive love known to the Son of God who comes to see her. As a child of God. So friends, uh, if this text challenged Jesus, it probably challenges us too. This text can uh, make us feel a little uncomfortable. We can get a little uneasy. 
Because it challenges us to consider who we were taught isn't included in God's love. Because where we are from and when we were raised informs our understanding who's included in the beloved community. For example, I'm from Aiken, South Carolina. I love South Carolina. I love a lot about South Carolina. I love South Carolina peaches. You Texans have been trying to convince me that Texas peaches are better. They're not. (laughs) It's okay. We'll still love each other. I love Hootie and the Blowfish. (laughs) Truly, I love them. I love springtime in the South. I love horse races. I love fall in the South. I love college football. I love a tailgate. And I love boiled peanuts. I also love bow ties. I love a lot about my home state. And uh, it informs much of my identity, but we all know that there is also a shadow side of where I grew up. Let's just say, and we'll be generous, that South Carolina has never quite been the bastion of inclusion. I know words and have heard them used in the context of a sentence that I wish that I never knew. And they're much worse than the word dog. I wish I didn't know them. I grew up in high school uh, in a church where elders would write letters to the state newspaper, letters to the editor, to try to get the Confederate flag down from the state house. I love a lot about where I'm from, but it's got a shadow side. It's got a shadow side. But you know that's changing slowly where I'm from. I was home this summer. And you can feel it shifting just a little. It's really small. South Carolina, after all. I think it's changing because people uh, are beginning to encounter one another in the flesh, incarnate. And their understanding is no longer based on what they were taught, but what they have come to experience in the humanity of others. A few years ago, I was listening to a sports talk uh, show on the radio, the Paul Feinbaum show. And there's some folks who may listen to that show in the sanctuary or on the radio this morning, and you're thinking, it is a miracle of God that this preacher has found a way to work the Paul Feinbaum show into a sermon. (laughs) But this story won't let me go. It's a story about what I'm talking about. In 2008, a caller named Jay called into the Paul Feinbaum show, and he said, hey, Paul, I want to share a story with you. He said, I was raised in Alabama, and I was raised a racist. I was very proud of it. My father was in the KKK. All of my uncles were in the KKK, and I believed in the ideology and the values of the KKK. But in 1967, I uh, joined the Marine Corps. I considered myself strong, brave, and stupid. 
and I wanted to go to Vietnam and I got my wish. My first day in Vietnam, as big as a redneck I was, I met what I considered to be the most militant acting and talking black person that had ever walked the face of the earth. Less than an hour after meeting one another, we tried to kill one another. And then we tried to kill one another at least once a week for every week that went by. Until one day our gunny sergeant pulled us apart and he said, boys, if you don't stop this, I'm going to send you home with a dishonorable discharge. So we put aside our differences and we turned out to be fair soldiers, I guess. I mean, let me be clear, we still had a strong animosity towards one another, but over the next two years, he saved my life a couple times. I saved his life a couple times. And we spent the entire time in Vietnam together. And in 1969, we were sent home. I moved back to Alabama and went to school, and he moved back to Detroit and resumed his life. After I got out of college, as dumb as I was, I managed to get an engineering degree. He and I would talk pretty regular over the years. We had become what I guess you would call friends. And he wasn't having a good time or a good life in Detroit, so I told him, well, why don't you come on down here and you can go to work with the same company that I work for. So we did. He wound up working for me. Then he decided he would go to school and get his degree, and so we did. And then he decided that he wanted to outdo me, which he always did. And he went on to get his master's. And so he did. And I ended up working for him. Paul, you know, on April the 2nd, this coming year, I will have been married to his sister for 32 years. He was the best man at my wedding. Paul, we, uh, we have two sons apiece, me and him. All four of them graduated from the University of Alabama. Roll Tide, he said. He lives three houses down from me. We've been neighbors for almost 30 years now, and we love nothing more than to get together in the evenings as often as we can and tell lies about the good old days. I guess it just goes to show you, Paul, anything really can happen. Friends, uh, where and when you were raised, where and when you were born, teaches you how to see the world. But it doesn't mean that when a greater truth arrives at your doorstep, that that greater truth doesn't change everything for you. Jesus didn't want to be bothered. And a woman had no where else to go? And that holy encounter changed the entire way he saw the world. The circle of compassion grew for him. 
A guy from Alabama who, whose family was in the KKK met a guy from Detroit. And they came to embody the family that I think God intends for all of us. Friends, may we trust that all belong to God. And may we seek to live like we belong to one another. We'll never do it perfectly. But by the grace of God, we will come to recognize Jesus disguised as our neighbor, our friend, and our enemy. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, you wanted us to know this love so badly that you took on the flesh to walk with us, to teach us a different way of living this life, a different way of seeing the world, a different way of seeing one another. So thank you for all the many ways that your Holy Spirit continues to guide us, O oh God. continue to give us the grace to follow you faithfully. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. As we celebrate the adoption of our new vision statement for our community of faith, we remember the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. Please rise in body or in spirit and join in reading the Affirmation of Faith, which is an excerpt from the 2009 vision statement. We will be a learning congregation in which people grow into the fullness of Christ. We will learn to apply biblical perspectives to the opportunities and challenges of life. We will learn to share our faith with others in loving and appropriate ways spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We will find creative ways to invite people into a living relationship with God. You may be seated. Family of God, at this time we turn our hearts back towards prayer. So I'd like to remind you all of the care letters which are located through this transept door. Those letters go out to people in need every week, and your signature serves as a reminder that they are not alone, for we belong to one another. So I invite you to stop by on your way out. I also want to lift up a few joys and concerns. We have several joys listed on the back of your bulletin, which I encourage you to take note of. To that, I would like to add um, a joy for the Epiphany Ministry Program, which has hired a new leader. His name is Brian, and we are delighted to have him on staff. I lift up the joy of the third graders and the ninth graders this morning in receiving their Bibles. And I also lift up one concern for Jack Myers, who is currently at Medical City, Dallas. With those joys and concerns in mind, let us pray. Creator God, 
You said from the beginning that we belong to you. You said it at creation when you breathed life into dust. You said it to the prophets when you promised never to give up on your people. You said it to the children and the Samaritans and the Syrophoenician woman when you said, yes, there is room for you here. And you even said it from the cross when you prayed, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We belong to you. We belong to you, our scars and sins, our brokenness and our dreams, our love and our joy. You claim all of all of us. So God of grace and hope, as your children, we come to you in prayer, seeking guidance and asking for grace, for we are all products of our time and place. So in our place and time, says that men are as valuable as their income or that women are as valuable as their beauty, give us the strength to speak a different truth. And when our place and time insists on 24-7 work days, ignoring our spiritual, physical, and emotional need for Sabbath, give us the strength to live differently. And when our place and time enables addictive patterns of thinking or acting, low self-esteem or societal divisions, remind us that we all belong to you. And in that belonging, inspire us and guide us so that we can be your church in the world, caring for the sick and the hurting, the lonely and the isolated, the poor and the grieving, in these pews, as well as outside these walls. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your good news of belonging and hope lives on. So with that good news, we start a new week. And with that good news in mind, we raise our voices together in prayer, echoing the words that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, over the years, Mo Ranch Camp and Conference Center has been a place where many people learned that they belonged to God. And so this month for our Every Dollar Counts offering, which is each single dollar bill placed in the offering plate, we are contributing all of that money to Mo Ranch, a thin place in the Texas Hill Country. So now let us give generously, for God has given so generously to us.
us pray. God of beginnings and ends, thank you. For opportunities to grow and change, thank you. For all that you are and all that we long to be, thank you. God, take these gifts and use them for your good. Amen. Friends, as we prepare to sing our final hymn, we will sing verses 1 and 5. I wonder who in your life has changed your mind about something. I wonder who in your life may have changed your entire life. I'm sure a name or an image has come to mind even as I asked that this morning. And this is what I would ask of you. On the atrium, uh, there's a new art installation, and flanking that art installation are two chalkboards. I would ask that you would write that person's name or those person's names on those chalkboards. It could have been a teacher that you had when you were in third grade and needed instruction like our third graders did this morning. I was one of those kids. It could have been one of your own children. And we won't tell them that you feel that way. But I wonder who that is for you. Will you go write their name in the atrium so that we can be reminded of the many ways that God has been alive and at work all of our days? And friends... As we go from this hour of worship to be, in the, to be the church in the world, may God give us the grace never to sell ourselves short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to recognize that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and far too small for anything but love. So may God take our minds and think through them. May God take our lips and speak through them. And may God take our hearts, each and every one of them, and set them on fire. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, and guide us in all our ways. Amen. <laughs>